0: Thank you. Um, This is my first time at a Sustainable Brands event, so I'm excited to be here. Um, As was described, I'm here to build on the conversation that was started by Aaron Mizan last year talking about human capital. Um, Interface has had a lot of environmental metrics that have been successful in helping us um, make great progress on our environmental footprint, but we're trying to use that measurement lens now looking at the social side of our business and, in particular, our own employees. So in last year's conversation, um, we had tackled first calculating our human capital. So we worked with Paul Herman and his team at Hip Investor to calculate that value. Um, and it gave us the, op- the opportunity to look at our employees as a real financial asset in our business. Um, and it could be used to accomplish three goals um, to capture that valuable asset on our financial statements Um, to be able to track the capital and hopefully look for increasing value over time, and also to calculate a return on investment in our employees. But what we really also wanted to understand was how we can increase that value. So this past year, we wanted to look for a framework that we could use related to human and organizational development, and also the tools that we could use to help us quantify and prioritize investments that we were making in our employees. We were introduced to a group called Root to Sustainability. They're a UK-based consulting group that has a unique approach to this human capital valuation. So they look beyond just the stock of human potential and also look at the flows throughout the year. Um, So as you can see here, the beginning capital stock calculation is very similar to what we had done last year. Um, calculating with the present value of future earnings, looking at employee wages, um, but it also builds in on the education level of employees and also employee tenure, so focusing solely on the time you really expect your employees will be staying within your company. Um, From there, you build in with the flows throughout the year, so you subtract out any depreciation to that capital. This includes things like sickness and absences and injuries, Um, You add back investments that you make in your employees that can be anything from training and education to standard health benefits to wellness programs. Um, And then you also add back an appreciation element. And this is where employee engagement would come into play. Um, And that gives you an end-of-the-year stock of human potential. Now, to look more closely, um, I want to talk about the pilot we did in calculating for our business. We looked at a few sets of employees throughout the company. So our entire set of employees in the Americas, um, everybody located in our two manufacturing plants in Europe, as well as the team at the plant in Thailand. That encompassed about 2,500 employees, so about three-quarters of our employee base. And we calculated from this a corporate human capital stock of $423 million. Now, to look at some of the inputs into that stock, um, those being wage, education, and tenure are kind of the three core drivers Um, You can see in the top right that the education level was very similar regardless of the location of our employees. So looking at the three regions of the Americas, Europe, and Thailand. But you can notice that wages in U.S. dollars are significantly lower for our Thailand employees. And we also have higher turnover in Thailand, resulting in significantly lower tenure. So altogether, if you kind of looked at an average stock per employee, you can see the differences among the regions and how those different inputs came into play. Now looking at the overall picture of the model I described, you can see how we went from $423 million, that core human capital stock, to an ending stock of only $287 million. Now the first big piece there is wages paid, and that is a function of, we're starting at the beginning of the year, this is driven largely by the wages of your employees, and you're going to the end of the year, so it's really a mathematical element just to take out one less year of wages of your employees. So that's a mathematical piece of the model, but it's not something that we can really drive. What's really interesting to us was the flows along depreciation, investment, and appreciation. So in looking at the depreciation piece, there's four areas here that we were able to capture in our pilot. Um, I mentioned wellness, so any sort of absence injuries, the cost of those to the business and to the employees... Um, Overtime. We're a manufacturing company, and a lot of times our plants are running on overtime hours, so that's certainly a cost both to the business and often to the long-term health of our employees. Um, Turnover. And we also captured an element called knowledge decay. So that's the concept of, in the absence of any training, your employees' knowledge is going to become more and more obsolete over time. On the positive side, on the investments, We were only able to capture two of these pieces in the pilot, given um, just access to data that we had readily available. So we captured benefits. This is kind of traditional medical insurance and retirement benefits for our employees. Um, And also training and education. We captured both the dollar investment spent in training programs, but also the hours that our employees are spending kind of away from their day-to-day tasks and in training sessions. Um, The two pieces that we weren't able to capture but that you could also consider investments in your capital stock are health and wellness programs, things beyond benefits like nutrition, education, fitness, health clinics, those types of things, Um, and also volunteering. So when Interface hosts a volunteer event for the employees to participate in, we're making an investment in long-term engagement of our employees. And the last piece being appreciation. So there's two core pieces of this, Um, first being engagement, like I mentioned, and also promotions. So promotions are really a direct way that you can benefit the earnings potential of your employees. Unfortunately, we didn't have easy access to data to capture step promotions, um, nor did we actually have data to capture engagement for um, our specific company, but we wanted to see how this came into play in the model. So we used some external research on engagement levels, depending on the countries where our employees were located, on percentage of employees that were engaged versus disengaged. Um, So this wasn't really proprietary information, um, just based on external research for the purposes of exploring the model. The picture that I think is the most useful is then looking at the three core pieces that we can manage for our corporate human capital stock. What is the result? And the result is we had a $25 million depreciation over the year, or a 6% depreciation in our human capital stock. Now, what did we learn from going through this exercise? Well, one of the first things we learned was we don't have a lot of the data we need to both put inputs into this model, but also really make strategic decisions about our people. Um, And we also don't have any sort of global HRIS system that's there to help us kind of manage and capture this data. Um, We are, you know, traditionally a pretty decentralized organization. We don't have a central core corporate HR team that is managing this and looking at KPIs. Um, We aren't looking at it with a strategic lens at all. Um, so we also don't you know, really have the people in place to drive this, other than the team that I work on that has been exploring this initially. Um, and the other big thing that we don't have is really a good tool for measuring employee engagement. Um, that's really an indicator that you should see increasing with a lot of the investments that I talked about in this model, and we just don't have a great way of understanding that right now. We've explored things like Gallup Q12 and different um, kind of common employee engagement measurements that people have heard of. We've sort of had mixed success on the global level using that. So what are our next steps here? Um, First, we need to expand the social metrics that we're looking at. Right now we're tracking some pretty traditional stuff like training hours and volunteer hours, but we need to go deeper. Um, We need to get everything on the departmental and individual level as much as possible. So we want to expand what Interface calls our sociometrics so we can really better assess our human capital. Um, We also need to establish a set of KPIs something that senior management is going to look at on a regular basis, something that they're going to focus on, just like all of the manufacturing and financial metrics that they look at regularly. Um, And we need to explore those tools to measure engagement so we can include that in the KPIs. Um, And because we're sort of a um, small team right now, we might need some more people to help us do that. So that's something that we need to think about. Um, And then going back to the model I talked about, How can we use that? Um, How can we use that when making strategic decisions? So I kind of want to go back to the model and show you how we can use that stock and flows approach um, in looking at three areas that we want to focus on next year. Those are retention, training, and engagement. So retention, looking at our turnover rate. Of the set of employees that we incorporated in that pilot, um, we had an average turnover rate of 17.5%. Now, if we were to improve that, if we were to set a target and achieve that to a 7% turnover rate, you can see that that dollar depreciation would decrease by a million dollars. So that's the effect it would have on our total human capital. Another intervention could be on the training side. There's a couple core inputs here. The average training hours that our employees receive and also the dollars that we spend in training. Now, we calculated that the average employee had received only seven and a half hours of core training um, during the year on average and that our training spend was 1.3% of the annual wages that we were paying our employees. But if we were to target 24 hours on average per year of training and increase that spend, that investment, to 2.5% of the annual wages we're paying, that would have a huge $10 million increase in our human capital value. And then, similarly, on the engagement side, um, the assumptions we used for engaged employees versus disengaged employees was that we had 31% highly engaged employees and 18% disengaged employees, um, just from external research. But if we set some KPIs and targets around that, say we thought that it would be more appropriate to have you know, a minimum of 40% highly engaged employees, and reduce the disengaged amount to only 10%. That would actually double the benefit we're getting to our human capital stock from engagement. So altogether, if we set up those KPIs and met those targets, that would have a $14 million or a 5% appreciation in our human capital. So that was sort of a nitty-gritty conversation on a model, um, something that we are just now exploring but we're really excited about and thought was worth sharing with everyone. Um, I'll give a little bit of a plug again for the employee engagement session this afternoon. I'm participating with Rachel from SAP, so we'll be talking more on that. Um, And then also wanted to say that the group we worked with at Route 2 the folks that um, developed this methodology, were really helpful. So if you have any questions about it, I would encourage you to reach out to them.
1: Thank you. You know, most presentations at events like this are, here's what we've done, isn't it great? Mm. Uh, and you're, you and Interface are courageous enough to say, here's what we've done, here's what's missing. You know, we don't have the data, we don't have the systems, we don't have the KPIs. I, I just want to honor you for being willing to put out a work in progress to us all that way because we really learn from each other <laughs> when we do that. So thank you very much for that.
0: Some of the challenges we have about lacking an HRIS system, mm-hmm. lacking some of that data, I mean, that's kind of maybe unique to our business. We're relatively small, probably, compared to some of the other organizations in the audience. They might have better access to that information. So this might actually be an easier to How many of you have access to, to that implement. kind of
1: information? How many of you don't?
0: So maybe not. How many right. of you don't know?
1: <laughs> okay. So don't, don't assume. No, the, the, the gaps are, are pervasive and common, I think. Questions from you all. Bonnie here, and then over there, second. Thank you so much, Lindsay. My name is Bonnie Nixon, and I'm with the Sustainability Roundtable. And many people know I worked for HP for 13 years and worked on supply chain. And this is enormously exciting to me, um, the way you present this. And I really applaud Route 2 and Paul and, and all of you for doing this. Because, you know, for so many years, I would go into the supplier's And we'd be talking about um, ISO management systems and saying, you know, what you need to do is take the 11 areas of the management system, which is to set goals, have targets, review them, communicate them, report on them, Mm -hmm. look at, um, you know, problems, and apply it to the human resource management system. And so we kept calling it human resource management system and couldn't... You know, it was just too challenging to help them go through this kind of an exercise. So I would love to see this, this, you know, formalized and put in a structure that could be provided to supply chains. Because, you know, when I first started, I remember the major business case justification that was given to me was by a senior VP. And he said, if we have 70% turnover in our supply chains in Asia... 70, mm-hmm. seven zero. And he said, if you could reduce that by 10%, 20 30%, I mean, your whole department's worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make that comment. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, my name's Derek Eisel. I'm from Scope 5 Software. Uh, Lindsay, I'm over here. Hi. Oh.
0: <laughs> Hi. <laughs> uh,
1: thank you. Um, so you had a lot of great data. I have a two-part question. I was wondering what the primary source of your data was, uh, and secondly, if you've been able to reflect that data back to your organization and if that is prompting any discussion or behavioral changes.
0: Um, sure. I mean, the data really came from me calling all of our regional HR folks and telling them what we needed. Um, It was sort of a wish list. And then having a rational conversation about what they could provide in a reasonable amount of time for us to explore this. So this is, that's why there was some gaps um, in what we could capture versus what we were able to capture. Um, And then reporting back out, um, we haven't Moved it down to really the regional HR level with all of the findings, but we have used it um, in a session with senior management. So, just recently, Erin met with senior management to talk about some of the things I mentioned um, and also some other programs that she wants to invest in over the next three years. And so, she wanted to take this financial lens as a way to communicate with our CFO and our CEO and help justify the investments that she's trying to make. So, um, I think she's pretty successful. In doing that with that team. But I certainly think that the people, you know, on the ground working in our HR teams and the sustainability folks could really use a lot of the lessons that and data that we've learned from this, too. So I think it could go both ways. Take one more question here. Uh, Jason Burnham with Burnham Marketing. So I wasn't sure if you accounted for this or not, but I'm curious to know how you looked at
1: the the interchangeable relationships and how those created value. So, for for example, the way different skill sets and personalities interact and collaborate could vary from various individuals, as opposed to kind of individual attributes by individual.
0: Um, And kind of looking at how that, from a human capital value standpoint, I'm wondering if that was taken into consideration. So your skill sets and my skill sets may create a certain value, whereas my skill sets and
1: Gil's skill sets collaborate may create a completely different kind of value. Um, And I'm
0: wondering if those kinds of relationships were accounted for. That was not really captured in this methodology. I mean, it's really kind of looking at things from coming at it more from a financial perspective than, like, a human qualitative perspective. Some people could have some judgments on that, but really looking at metrics and ways to drive value, to speak to all the people in the organization, it's just sort of a different way of looking at it. So not that those types of, you know, the softer side or, you know, people's strengths aren't an important part of the human value. Um, but this is really kind of looking at it from, like, the capital financial perspective. Lindsey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.